Thank you for joining us here at Second Baptist Church. Today you will be hearing one of our members teach from the Bible Studies for Life curriculum. Bible Studies for Life curriculum is provided by Lifeway and is a curriculum that we use in our Sunday school and Bible study groups at the church. If you are able, we would love to have you join us in one of our groups. Our church meets at 301 Tomberlin Road, and more information can be found at secondbaptistwaycross.com. Thank you for joining us. We're happy you're back with us. It is Easter. It is the Sunday of the year that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus that we believe coincides with the same time of the year that he would have actually rose from the grave and so we're celebrating that today we're doing a lesson remember we're doing we're studying the essentials of Christianity and one of the essentials of Christianity is Jesus's resurrection that he was dead and buried and that he bodily rose again and as we do so we're gonna be looking at John chapter 20 so I hope you have your Bible if not you have your lesson book and we'll read out of those but as we talk about Easter and we talk about Jesus's resurrection and specifically as we look at John chapter 20 I want to remind you of a couple of things that are true to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is unique from the other Gospels in that it is written as belief from the beginning. Now, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote theirs as they went through the time frame. So Matthew wrote and, and he expressed his unbelief in, in his writing, you know, well, we didn't think this was going to happen, we didn't, you know, whatever. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are both written like the disciples literally experienced that in that moment, even though they were written many years afterwards, okay? John is also written many years afterwards, but it's written from the point of belief, from the very beginning. It starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made. That's John's initial opening statement and it gives you the understanding that this is a more theological bent than the practical side of the other three gospels not that they don't have theology in them but so it's very important because as we teach this lesson it's very easy for somebody who is concerned or having doubts or questioning some of these things to be like well all you did was show me the proof text you know just the things that make it work for you yeah i do like that the Gospels are all different and they're all really based on the writer's personalities. You know, Luke was a doctor, Matthew, a tax collector. Mm -hmm. And so they're really, they're, they all coincide and they all talk about this, a lot of the same things. But, but like Daniel said, I like how John starts with the beginning. He starts with creation and goes all the way to the end, which is Jesus's death and resurrection. And it's definitely challenging. I know we talked about reading the whole book this week. I mm -hmm. hope you've had a chance yeah. to do that. Um, and that is something you can always recommend to other people to be able to just say, hey, go read John. Go read the, the book of John. Yeah, and so when there's parts here where the author of this kind of says, read John 20. Well, I'm one of those guys that it doesn't, John 20 doesn't work for me until I understand John 1 through 19. And, and I will say this about the resurrection as we get ready to kick off this lesson. And it's this. Believing that Jesus physically rose from the dead is, and the, and the author points that out, this is a difficult thing. How do, you know, we, we didn't believe some of these other things were possible, and now they've become possible. Um, for me, it worked by believing that Jesus was alive. And, and if many years ago and then through my life, I have seen evidence after evidence 
and proof that Jesus is alive, that this man they wrote about in the Gospels still exists. And at least as we see him now in the spirit or experience him in a spirit form through the work of his Holy Spirit. And because of that, it's easy for me to come to John chapter 20 and say, okay, that's how it happened. Um, I don't know not everybody, not everybody's mind works like no, that. No, I mean, and like Daniel said, I, I can truly say I believe in the resurrection because I see his evidence yeah. in my life and in others' lives that are living among me. And I can see his spirit moving in them. And because of that, I'm able to really grasp the resurrection and believe in it. Yeah, and that's and by the way, if you read the New Testament and you read about people like Apostle Paul and even John and Peter, as we look at today, that's how they came to believe. And, and uh, so, anyways, we're going to jump in. It's John chapter 20. We're going to read verses um, one through nine. I'm going to start by reading one and two, and then Christy's going to pick up what the book does in verse three. Early on the first day of the week. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So John even finishes with that little, or we finished on John's little aside there that at that time they did not understand. He's writing it now from the perspective of understanding, but he wants you to put you back in his in his shoes, so to speak, or his sandals uh, more than likely at that time period. And uh, so in your books, you're going to see that the author points out that John is very specific on the facts, and he's talking about all these details that, that led up to that. And in our study of it, those are important. But John is relaying those because he was the one there. Um, and he has set this from the beginning, that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. And so when he begins to pen it, he sits down and says, Hey, this was what was in, I remember about that day. This is what was impressed upon me that day. And he lays those out uh, as he speaks to Jesus' resurrection. For someone who would rather read fiction, or I don't really like to read, but when I do read, I'd rather read fiction than nonfiction. And so I just, I think it's very amusing. These verses have always captivated me. And even as a kid, it's like um, Peter was there and I was with him and I outran him and I got to the tomb first. But, you know, Peter, he's the um, more cocky one. He's the more, you know, I'm... I'm Peter, so he goes in first, and then I go in, and then I look. I just think all those details are just amusing. I, I just love it. And um, and how the, the women had went, Daniel read in verses 1 and 2, the women had actually went in first because yeah. they were there to prepare his body. So there's a lot of facts there, but it's also written from the one hand, the firsthand experience. And so he's putting a lot of details in it that, you know, the other disciples don't necessarily have. Yeah, the old, the old saying, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. And and this is what's happening here. Um, 
kind of amusing that somebody says they read fiction. But you did correct it and say when you do, really you prefer fiction. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, books on, on audio, audio. audible books. Those are great. But so as John's doing this, he, and it's almost like, like Christy was saying, as she's describing those little things, it's, I can just imagine him 20, 30 years later writing this down and going back and reliving that moment. That These are the things that stick out to you. Like if I were to ask you, you know, when's the first time you went on a date with, you know, your uh, significant other, or when's the first time that you remember uh, your kids doing something, you know, cool or amazing, or if you're a kid, you know, when's the first time you remember maybe a sporting event or going to an amusement park or something like that. And some of the details you would remember would be these little odd things like I had a Coke Icy there or I, you know, they were wearing a red shirt or, you know, just those things, yeah. the visual, you know. Right, he could, he could remember seeing the cloth being separate from the head cloth or the head covering or whatever it was. They wrapped him in, the ritualistic stuff. He just, there were all these distinct things that he remembered and even outrunning his friend and, you know. Details. Yeah, and so as this happens, as, as we as believers, and let me just remind you, and specifically this is towards um, maybe my students or older students who, who are in their mid younger ages, you know, we come to this point in life sometimes where somebody says, you really believe somebody rose from the dead? Do you really believe that, you know, you've never seen that before, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they hit you with all of those, you know, what they call factual things. And I would just say this, that John is now living this out many years later. And we can go on and read his story in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. He didn't come to the tomb that day and walk away and say, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead changed John's life forever. And that is the same fact. Take all these other facts and set them to the side. The fact that we go on is what Christy said originally. The fact that Jesus is changing lives. He's changing my life. Um, and maybe he's changed yours. Think of behaviors and habits and attitudes. And, and I often think of maybe what I was doing five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and thoughts and habits that I had then that God has changed. And I'm not a perfect individual by no means, but I have seen him change those things in my life. I've seen him change it in many other people's lives as well. Right. The, the fact that Jesus came to earth and lived and died on a cross is pretty much accepted by all, even religions. Um, the fact mm -hmm. that Jesus came and Jesus lived and he was a great man and he died. Almost every religion would acknowledge that fact of history. Um, that he was resurrected, some people do have a problem with. But the fact that he lives in us and that there's evidence of that and how we treat others and how we love other people can help them to see the resurrection and to actually believe it as we believe it, if you're a believer. Anything else? Yeah, I was going to read Romans 8, verse 11. This is what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. And Paul was one of those who, who knew Jesus lived, knew that he died, and then experienced Jesus, and it changed his life. So Romans 8, 11 says this. Uh, let me find it. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, this is what we've been talking about, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And so Paul's not just talking about life after death there. He's talking about life within life, or as Jesus called it, life more abundantly. 
So we're going to move over and pick up at uh, verses 19 through 23 because there's an experience I challenge you to go to read that Jesus had with Mary Magdalene uh, there at the tomb. And now we're going back to the disciples meeting together. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed him his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So as Jesus meets with his disciples, it's interesting because, of course, people say, well, you know, anybody could do that. Anybody could show up and pretend to be Jesus. I mean, they could have hired somebody. They could have been fooled. They could have been under a delusion, etc., etc. It's interesting, though, that one of the last recordings we have of Jesus on the cross is, first of all, he forgives one of the thieves. Secondly, he asks God not to forgive the men who are killing him. Okay? And then the next time he sees his disciples, he tells them to forgive other people's sins. I mean, so sure they could have hired an actor or an actress, but if they're looking to set up a kingdom, uh, you don't set up a kingdom of this world by forgiving people of their sins or where they've wronged you. You set up a kingdom of this world by getting power and authority and then wielding it over others. And questioning everybody else around you. Um, yeah, I think it would have been pretty easy even even now to have an imposter try to make you disbelieve what had just happened i'm sure it was probably very easily easy for them to have believed that um but he appeared to them behind a locked door so that would have been a little difficult as well for him to come in and do that and he showed them his hands and his side as evidence that that's who he was yeah, so as John's writing this, he's, he's listing these facts, but he's listing these facts as somebody who believes, um, as somebody who has come to the understanding and belief of who Jesus is, and much of it brought about through this day, but also having watched Jesus live his life and seeing that life go on. Jesus doesn't die and come back and say, okay, I'm going to be rid of all my enemies now and destroy the world. Uh, he dies and he comes back and he continues the same message, and, and he gifts them the Holy Spirit. Now later on we see a difference in, in Acts and there's some different understandings of how Jesus could give them the Holy Spirit as well as the whole church receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, but at this time Jesus gives his disciples what he had just promised them a few nights before. He said, I'm leaving and my Father's going to send you the Comforter. And when he returns to them and meets with his disciples the first time, he gives them what he has promised them. And he gives them that. Um, and it's one of those things that, that, once again, he does for us still today and works in our lives. Right. He told him, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He had been there um, healing the sick and loving on people and caring for them. And then he had died and then he was raised again. And he told his disciples that just as God had sent him to do all of these things, he was equipping them to do the same things to care for others, to forgive others, to love others, and the same way he equips the enemy does us as well. Yeah, and as we move to the next one, I want to, it's really interesting because this really coincides with something that, 
that we experience today this equipping thing and we have some friends who went through a very um, I'm sure very emotional event today as they were returning to a place that they feel like God has equipped them to serve and for the last uh, year plus they've been separated from that it's a place that probably not many of us would circle on the map and say yeah that's my place um, but for them it's become that place because God has equipped them and, and we were talking about our own journey through uh, foster care and different areas of ministry and things like that and this is another proof of the resurrection is God's equipping of you mm-hmm. and the ability he gives you to love and care and to minister to others um, and so as I thought as she was reading that it just was reminded me of what was going through our friend's I can't imagine their emotions and feelings today. Uh, they're living out the proof of the resurrection. I actually thought of that the entire time I was reading this text as well because he equips all of us for different things. He didn't call me to go there. Yeah. Um, don't I say this? <laughs> I'm going to say this. I don't know if I could do that because I get that all the time. I yeah. got it yeah. a couple times this past week. I'm just not sure I could do what you do. That's okay. It's not for everybody. I'm not going to say, well, you're just not a believer if you don't do a foster care or whatever. I mean, it's not for everybody. But at the same time, he's equipped you to do something. You might be a teacher in the school system. I couldn't do that. You know, we're not all equipped for the same thing. So you do what he's equipped you to do and give it the best of your ability. And guess what? That is the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's proof of the resurrection right there. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to finish up as we turn here and we we go to verses 27 through 29 because we're covering a lot. We're trying to cover these specific moments to give you some of these, you know, toeholds. But the whole chapter is there for you to read, and so I encourage you to read it. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I don't think here that um, Jesus is is condemning Thomas and and whipping him, so to speak. Um, Thomas did tell the disciples that he would have to see to believe. But Jesus, of course, knows everything and so he knew that and so he approached Thomas knowing that Thomas was doubting and but I don't I don't think that Thomas was doubting in the sense of well I don't believe he's resurrected from the dead I think it's more of a wow I can't believe this has happened yeah and it's you know we didn't discuss this lesson very much at all amongst ourselves even though we've read and studied it but we didn't have that discussion but I wholeheartedly agree um, a few things about Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, but can I remind you where is he at? Days after Jesus' death and burial, people still hating on Jesus, literally trying to kill his followers. Where's Thomas at with those followers? What does Jesus say to him? Come here, Thomas. He calls him by his name. He doesn't say, where's the idiot in here that doesn't believe? And all those blustering things. I mean, I've been in multiple quote-unquote revival services where junk like that is spewing out of the speaker's mouth. I almost said another word, but it's the same stuff. Just spewing out of a speaker's mouth. There you doubt. 
Jesus calls Thomas by his name. Thomas is his friend. He spent years with Jesus. And Jesus calls him and he says, come to me. Think of the humility of God in that moment who is bearing scars in his body and says to the one, come touch it. Come touch it. You, you're my friend. Here it is. Come touch it. And when Thomas does, Thomas's exclamation is not, oh, I should be knocked down and run over and, and killed and thrown out behind the barn the way some people try to make you feel. Thomas's statement was, oh, you are God, my Lord, and my God. There's a personal moment that happens there when Jesus invites him to it. Um, man, don't let folks run you over for, for, for struggling through this and, and maybe even the doubts that we have. Uh, that's not how God greets you. He doesn't greet you like a... a somebody sweating and hollering and screaming from a platform uh, demanding that you dance to their tune. Uh, he greets you like a friend. He does. And one thing the writer pointed out was John um, chapter 14 where there is a, mm. an interaction with Thomas. And I'm going to read a few things there. It says, um, John 14, 4, Jesus said, You know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas is the one who spoke up and said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Yeah. And Thomas wasn't content to remain in the dark. He wanted to be helped. He, he wasn't afraid to step forward and be the speaker of the voice of the disciples. I'm sure they were struggling with that same doubt. Um, so he came forth. He wasn't, the book said he wasn't contemplative and sensitive. He wrestled with facts. Or he was contemplative and sensitive. Sorry about that. He wrestled with facts and he thought through the implications yeah. of what it truly meant to follow Jesus. And Daniel um, mentioned something to me this afternoon. I was, he pointed something out in somebody's car, and I was like, well, that's not right. And he said, I don't remember, remember what you said. And I was like, well, he said, you you got to quit thinking for yourself. You've got to remember you got to just do what everybody else says for you and, and do it that way. Well, Thomas didn't let everybody else tell him how to believe or yeah. how to think. He thought for himself, and he wanted to be able to ask questions, and that's okay. He wasn't a man full of doubt. He was just solely, wholly sold out to Jesus, and he wanted to know how he could fully trust in him and believe in him, even through something as difficult as the resurrection. I mean, I think we all would question that to a certain degree. Well, how did he come back from the dead? How did that happen? How can this be? And then a week later, Jesus died, came back from the dead, and showed Thomas his scars, and Thomas believed. Yeah, so as we kind of come to the end of this lesson and this understanding of what it means, uh, one of the truths of Christianity, understand this. And out of all those disciples, one expressed a verbal, exclamatory doubt. And the next time Jesus saw him, he said, come to me. It was the call to a friend. And I can tell you that it's the same God who sits on the throne today. He has not changed. Scripture tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so when we have and express difficulties and doubts, God once again says to us, come to me. And uh, I, can't, I can't think of a greater way to begin to study and understand the truth of resurrection than to understand that God looks at us and says, calls us by our name and says, come to me. He does. We, we have not yet seen him in the flesh, but we will. And 
if we just grasp that truth that he did come and he did walk on the earth and we will be able to see him um, that, pr that proof or the truth of resurrection can just resonate with us in the way that we live and the way we treat others yes and you know we use Easter to market because it is the time of the year when Jesus rose from the dead um, however uh, as a believer we're constantly marked by the resurrection uh, Jesus is rising from the dead changes our life every day every single moment uh, that we allow it to so that's our challenge to you is to let the resurrection live in you thank you for listening